All right, Psalm chapter 1. Here we go. We are at December 30, which is a great day to open the Word of God. Every day is a great day to open the Word of God, but Psalm 1 on this day is even more fun. Um, So Psalm 1. As I mentioned, I have three kids. All of them are under 10. My youngest turns two this week, which is kind of crazy, and uh, he's walking all over the place and creating chaos, and we love him dearly. But Asaph is also learning how to talk, and sometimes he says complete senses, which just kind of throws us for a loop. Like, you might say, Mom, I want some more toast, please. And you're like, what happened there? Um, But a couple months ago, you would ask him, Asaph, how are you doing? And he would go, doing well. (laughs) He's like 18 months old, doing well. Okay, glad you're doing well, bud. Um, I want to ask you a question this morning. Just like I would ask Asaph, hey, how are you doing, bud? I want to ask you, how are you doing? How are you doing? Well, thank you. (laughs) Specifically, how is your relationship with the Lord this morning? As we enter into a new year, one of the things that many of us do is we, we set goals and we set plans for the next year. We take a look at our life in the year gone by and we say, God, how, how could our life be different this next year? And it's an appropriate question to ask. How are you doing spiritually? How is your relationship with the Lord? Maybe, kids, if you have sermon notes, maybe you could draw a picture about where your relationship with the Lord is like. I want to give you some, some words here to, um, to, to think about. How would you describe your relationship with God? Here's some, here's some suggestions or some possibilities for you. And you might be somewhere in the spectrum in between these. Um, stale. Anybody ever experienced a stale relationship with God? How about non-existent? How about complicated? How about broken? How about distant? That's on one side. On the other side, some other words are dynamic, vibrant, growing, close, overflowing. We find, at least I've found throughout life, life kind of goes in cycles and patterns. And sometimes we find ourselves in a place that can be really dry. I remember several years ago, it was my my second year in seminary. And um, I was taking a lot of credits and working full-time. I had, had a young family at that time. And I was just dry. I was sucked to the bone. I'd get up at 6, and I'd work in school until I came here. And then I'd go home, eat dinner with my kids, put them to bed, go upstairs and write a paper. I, and every day from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., my life was consumed with activity. And it was really difficult for me to carve out time to know God and to grow in that relationship can I get a witness? <laughs> Anybody ever been there? All right, that, that's something that happens to a lot of us. And we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning. Now, the Psalms are considered to be the prayer book of the Bible. They, they're considered to, to be the book that helps God's people know how to worship him. And the word psalm, psalmos in uh, Greek, uh, means song. All right? In Hebrew, it's the word tehillim. Tehillim means praise. And so it's a, it's a book all about praising. And you ask, praise what? Praise God. It's, it's all about teaching us how to praise God regardless of the situation in our life. If you were to start at Psalm 1 and go all the way through 150, you're going to find characters who are in deep depression. You're going to find characters who are experiencing, you know, someone's chasing them, trying to kill them. You're going to experience all sorts of emotions. But the Psalms, as one professor I used to have said, 
Psalms are an instruction in human emotion. It's not to put your emotions aside. It's to say, in the midst of this emotion, what is my response? All right, what is my response? And it's summed up with the name of the book, Tehillim, Praise. All right, we're going to look at Psalm 1 today because Psalm 1 is an introduction about teaching how to worship God, how to praise God regardless of what is going on. And as we do that, our relationship with God grows. It deepens. It becomes, it becomes more full. So the Psalms are written for the believer who has been a believer a long time and wants to grow to that next level in their relationship with God. They're written to the person who is new in faith. Maybe you've just come to know Jesus as your Savior recently. Man, the Psalms are a great place to learn how to love God, even in the midst of all the things we experience in a broken and fallen world. The Psalms are even helpful for those who don't have a relationship with God, because if you look at it, you're like, how on earth can that person worship God in the midst of that? It just doesn't make sense. But as you go on in the book, you see time and time again the questions of why God, the questions of God, where are you, the questions of uh, every other thing in life, and you see the response, nevertheless, yet I will praise you. All right, so Psalm 1 is where we are going to be. And I want to give you this quote from Dr. Chris Miller. Dr. Miller was my um, Old Testament professor at Cedarville when I was there. And it says this, it says, The fuel for a deeply personal and meaningful relationship with God is a daily memory and meditation on the thoughts of God. Period. All right, so you want to have a vibrant, growing relationship with God? It begins with a daily memory and meditation on the thoughts of God. And that's, in a nutshell, what Psalm 1 says. Okay? Would you stand with me as we read together? Psalm 1. This may be um, one that you've memorized. This may be a psalm that you have known for many years. By God's grace, ask God to give you new eyes to see his word today, okay? How happy is the man who does not follow or walk in the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or sit in the seat or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, in the Lord's teaching, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment. The sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Let's pray together. God, as we open your word, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to set upon your truth. Because God, that is why we are here. We could gather for many reasons and for many things. But God, we're here because we want to know your word so that we can know you. 
even now, God, where there is, um, where there is doubt, replace it with faith. God, where there is anger and resentment, replace it with peace and joy. God, where there is um, struggle, remind us that you are sovereign over all and that you are good. We thank you, God, for bringing us together for the gift of your teaching to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, so Psalm 1. Now, the psalmist gives us two pictures to consider with regard to life. He gives us two pictures of a person, that is. And that is the righteous and the wicked. Now, the word for righteous in Hebrew, you know this word if you've been here the past couple weeks. We've been in a series called Righteous Yet Afraid. The word righteous is tzaddik. Can you say tzaddik? Yeah, the TZ is great. It's tzaddik, yeah. And it means righteous, pious. It means one who finds pleasure in following God's commandments in all spheres of life. So tzaddik refers to the person who goes to work and deals justly in their business dealings, who is above board in all they do. The person who goes to school and who is honest about how they've gone about taking a test. It refers to the person who goes home and treats his mom and dad, or she treats her mom and dad, or spouses treat each other, or they go to grandparents, and they treat people in all spheres of life according to God's teaching because they find pleasure in following what God has told them to do. All right? Tzadik. Um, the first place this word is used, which is kind of interesting, is in Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 6. And in the context of Genesis 6 is the world is a terribly wicked place, and God says, my heart is broken that these people only think about wickedness all the time. And so he goes down, but he finds a righteous person. In Genesis 6, 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, all right? He was righteous. He found pleasure in following God's commands in all spheres of life. But what I find interesting about this first occurrence of the word tzaddik is that it then says this. It says, Noah walked with God. I want to suggest to you that in part to be tzaddik begins with walking with God. You want to be a righteous person, walk with God. Because the scriptures tell us in the book of Romans, there is no one righteous, no, not one. But they also tell us that God gives us his righteousness when we come to faith in Jesus. And so, um, so Noah walked with God. To be tzaddik means that you have a relationship with God. It also describes another person. This person is wicked, as the text says. The word in Hebrew is rasha. Would you say rasha? Rasha. Your Hebrew is very, very good this morning. It means wicked, guilty before God. The first place this word is used is in Genesis 18, where God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm about to wipe away Sodom and Gomorrah because the sins of that, of those cities, have reached my ears. I, I, I've, I've heard the groanings of the people around them. And it was more than just sexual promiscuity and all that kind of stuff. It went to how they treated the poor and the alien and the stranger among them. And, he, and Abraham, in talking to God, says, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
There's a clear picture between the two, all right? And that comes out at the latter verse of the Psalms. The Lord watches over the, right, the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. It describes two different paths that you can take. The righteous path that is founded primarily with a relationship with God and the wicked path, which is going your own way. Okay, so there's a picture that we have to start off. There's clear differences between these two. Go to verse one with me. The, the psalm starts off by saying, blessed is the man, or happy is the man, your translation might say. The word blessed there means happy, it means blessed, it means fortunate. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So to understand blessing, we have to understand blessing doesn't always look the way we think it looks. The primary component of blessing means that you are in a deeper relationship with God. It may not be that you have more money in the bank or you have more security in life. It means that your relationship with God, oof, that is glue that holds you together. All right? And I want to show you too. So blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, or follow the counsel of the wicked is another way you could translate it. There's a series of verbs here. You'll notice in your text, if you're people who underline, which is perfectly fine, sometimes it helps me, um, you'll notice the verbs. Blessed is the man who does not follow or walk, who does not take the path or sit in the seat or join the group. If I got that right. Oh, sorry. The second one is in the way. I'm Trying to account for all those. So blessed is the man who does not follow or walk in, and in the way of sinners does not stand, and the seat of scoffers does not sit. So you have, I'm in the HCSB here this morning. You have follow, take, or join. With those verbs, you have this negative, all right? You, ha you have this who do not do this. We are all defined by what we do and what we don't do. And the psalmist starts here by describing the blessed man who does not do certain things because those ways lead down a path that's not good, all right? They, uh, lead to a path that's away from God. And so this is an emphatic negative. The, the way this negative is used is the same way it's used in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not. It's the same, same type of negative that is here. He said, don't do this. Whatever you do, don't do this, because you won't experience blessing if you do. All right, so we have those, those verbs, follow, stand, and sit, depending on your translation and how they've gone, and, and there's a parallelism that's going on here. Parallelism is a Jewish way of saying something a couple different ways. So it, it's kind of like a simile, and it kind of repeats itself. But there's also a progression, I think, going into this. There's following the advice of evildoers. Hearing something that someone who does evil and say, yeah, I think I'll do that. But then there's to stand in the way of sinners means to be a part of joining their customs and their manners. It's kind of like the next, the next rung up and in having your heart bent towards something that is far from God. And then you have not just standing, you have sitting in the seat of scoffers. So you actually sit amongst them and you join their group. Um, 
The word scoffers or mockers is used mostly in the Proverbs, and it describes a person who goes his own way, who does not listen to the wisdom of others, and who resists helpful correction. All right? That's what a mocker is. These people are arrogant, they're haughty, and they act with pride. That's the picture of a mocker. And so, as the psalmist says this, he's not saying don't have any interaction with these people. He says, don't get your wisdom from them. You know, kids, you go to school, and you hear someone who, who is far from God, and they're saying, hey, you should do this, but you know that that way is not the way that you should go. Sometimes you still go that way, right? He's saying, don't do that. He says, don't do that. Don't, don't follow their advice. Don't stand in their counsel. Don't take advice from people who want to lead you down a path that goes away from God. A great example of this is Lot. Uh, if you were to go and you were to look at Lot, when he breaks off from Abraham, Lot, the text tells us, is a righteous man. And Lot and Abraham split off because their, their flocks and herds got too big. And so Lot takes the nice part that looks kind of like the Garden of Eden, the part that's green, the part that is abundant. And he goes and he camps outside Sodom, even though he knows Sodom is not the best influence. A couple chapters later, you find Lot in the city, no longer outside the city. You find him in the city. You find him sitting at the gate. What's interesting about that is it's like he's gone from this point to this point in allowing ungodly influences to affect how he lives his life. Interesting thing, if you go read the story of Lot, enjoy and look for that. Um, So the psalmist is not advocating that we don't have contact with people far from God. He's saying, don't follow their foolish ways that lead to their own perceived benefit. He's saying, don't put yourself in the position to be influenced negatively by them and to draw you away from God. Let me ask you this. What are those things that draw you away from God? Who are those people that have an influence in your life that draw you away from God? It's something to think about. Several years ago, my wife and I decided to do a complete TV fast. And we, we watch TV and enjoy sports and stuff like that with the kids and, and certain shows. But we decided to do a complete TV fast. And we didn't realize, you know, six weeks later or whatever, when we started watching some TV again, we, we didn't realize how desensitized to certain things we had become. Commercials, uh, just, just things that are in passing. We didn't realize how desensitized we were to negative influences or potential negative influences in our lives. What are things that lead you away from God? Now, the psalmist says, don't do that. Rather, he says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's teaching or instruction. And on that, he meditates day and night. So delight. We, we think about delight and many things pop into to our mind. Delight can be translated joy, matter, wish, or his business. You know, right? He finds his pleasure. He finds his business being about those things that are, um, that are founded in the Lord's instruction. Now, the word instruction here, or teaching, uh, yours might say law. It's the word Torah, all right? Torah is the word that means law, teaching, instruction. It, it, 
it's God's word to us to say, here's how I want you to love me, all right? Torah comes from a word that means to shoot. It means to shoot straight. And so you want to hit the mark as someone who wants to honor God. And so God gives you his teaching so that you can aim yourself towards the proper mark of how we love God. Now, it's interesting there too. It says his, his delight is in the Lord's teaching, the Lord's instruction. The word used there for Lord is the covenantal name of God showing us, in part, that it's someone who's in relationship with God who wants to actually honor God's teaching. It's, it, it's, it's a name that is between God and God's children. And so, what do we do with this teaching? The text says, we meditate on it day and night. You could also translate it, we read it in an undertone. You can tell why they did meditate. But, but the word means to read it in an undertone. In other words, ha, ha, do you ever talk to yourself? <laughs> Anybody? Okay, sometimes, last night, no, no joke, I'm, I'm, I was probably talking about something with regard to this morning, and I'm talking to myself, and my son goes, what'd you say? And I said, like, I'm just talking to myself, don't worry about it. It's having this, I, this, having this pattern of the word of God being on your lips, so that as you're memorizing it, as you're mulling it over, and as you're thinking about it, you're just like, oh, yeah, that, that, that. To read in an undertone or to meditate is not contemplating your inner presence or some form of uh, New Age mystic nonsense. It's about filling yourself with the true life-giving words of God, and it describes a constant action, something that is all-consuming. And the word meditate there, it's used in some in some areas within scripture to, to talk about how someone is thinking up treachery, how, how someone is just, just bent on getting even for something in Psalm. I don't think I put the reference in, but in the Psalms, um, it's used that way one time. It's also used um, in Joshua, for example, uh, when God tells Joshua, hey, I want you to take this book and I want you to make this book your own. And he, and he says, I, I don't want you to just know this. I want you to know and do. In Joshua 1a, it says um, that the teaching is not from memory alone, but that, quote, so that you may be careful to do all that is written. The reason we meditate, the reason we read in an undertone God's word is so that we can do God's word. All right? Memory leads to action. I ask you a question. What do you meditate on? What are those things that comprise the, the efforts of your mind? Because a lot of what we deal with in our spiritual lives is a battle for our minds first. What we think is often what comes through in how we act. Which is why the psalmist says, his delight, his joy, his business is in meditating, is in, is in going over and over and over the word of God, and on the word of God, in the teaching and the instruction of God, he meditates day and night. Now, Romans talks about this in just a great way. It says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's interesting about Paul's command there is he uses a passive verb form, be transformed. In other words, as we engage the text, and we engage God's teaching in our lives, the transformation is not something that we can do. 
To be transformed means that someone outside of you has to do the transformation. Does it make sense? So as you and I, as we, as we read and we invest our lives in the teaching of God's word, God grows within us the renewing of our mind to then walk in the liberty of his spirit. I just love that. I love that. The more you engage God's word, the more God will transform you. All right? Take that simple truth. Think about it. The more you engage God's word, the more God will transform you through his word. The psalmist then goes to two pictures, and I've got some pictures for you this morning. He goes to this picture of a tree, all right? This is what it looks like to be blessed. How's that feel? <laughs> that tree, that's how it looks like to be blessed. He describes a tree. Now, why on earth would he describe a tree? Well, as you can tell, this is, this is taken from, from the land over there, and there's not a whole lot of stuff around in this particular picture. Trees are often where there is sufficient water. And so the text says, he will be like a tree planted beside streams of water. That's one possible translation that is good. It could also be translated, he's like a tree being planted over streams of water. And you're like, how do you plant over a stream of water? Well, I don't see any stream right there. But somewhere there is water, because if there were no tree, there would be no water. Trees have this ability to send their roots down deep, and sometimes sideways, because there is a stream there. They have this ability to send the roots down deep to where there is water. And as they do that, they grow, and they flourish, and they have trunks that that get bigger, and they have branches that come off, and then they have foliage, and then depending on the tree, they have fruit, all right? So the text says, who yields, uh, uh, he's like a tree planted beside streams of water or over streams of water that bears its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. And what I love about this picture is that there's not much there. There's a ton of rock, a lot of dry, not a lot of rain, but there's a tree that prospers because its roots are planted deep into the water that gives life. Trees are interesting things. Um, in biblical times, especially trees that produced fruit had a high degree of value. In fact, in Deuteronomy, um, God is telling his people that even during times of war, don't cut down the fruit tree. Whatever you do, don't, don't cut down the fruit tree. If you need to besiege a city, don't cut down the fruit tree because the value of the fruit tree is so high. Trees uh, can only exist where there is sufficient water, no water, no tree. As I showed you, trees can exist in places where water is not immediately visible. Healthy trees have healthy foliage. Healthy trees then also produce fruit in the proper season. The point is this, when we find joy in meditating upon and doing the teaching and the instruction of God, God conforms and transforms our mind and he grows fruit and fo foliage and fruit in accordance with the proper season of life that we are in. Now, fruit is an external product. Fruit is there to be a benefit to those around. You want to be a benefit to those around, 
you have to have good fruit, right? You don't have good fruit unless you have well-rooted roots. So, the picture here is that as God grows you in his word, that then becomes fruit that God's spirit works through you to be a benefit to those around. Now, there's a second picture that is here. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. And this is a picture of a threshing mat because he goes to this image from a tree. He goes to verse four, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. So I figured a picture of chaff was very appropriate. We don't live in an agrarian economy as much as they used to. This is part of the threshing process. And so chaff, after a grain crop is harvested, the threshing and winnowing process takes place. Now, Thank you to modern technology that greatly makes this, uh, that makes this a lot easier for those who grow crops. In the ancient world, what they would do is they'd, they'd cut the stalks, and once they dried, they'd put them on the threshing floor. Then the farmer would have his animals maybe walk around on it because the, the kernel of wheat or whatever crop you're, you're going, it has this inedible part that comes around it. What they want to do is they want to break, not, they don't want to grind the wheat, but they want to break the chaff off of the wheat berry, all right? But to do that, they have to apply pressure, and so they might hit it with a broom, or they might hit it with a fork, uh, or they'd have their animals walk on it, and then they would take a fork, and they'd pitch it into it, and then they'd throw it up in the air, and the seed is heavier, and so it falls back down to the ground, and then all that black stuff that you see blowing off in the wind is useless, worthless chaff. All right, I'm a coffee roaster. I I love roasting coffee, and there's a chaff that comes on the outside of a coffee bean. Every time I roast coffee, that stuff gets everywhere, and I, I, I thought about bringing a big thing of chaff from all my past roastings and just throwing it up in the air, and I decided for the sake of our custodians, I would not do that to you. I would show you a picture. So, um, so there's your chaff, all right? It's something that provides little, it, not little, it provides no nutritional content. It has no bearing on anything in life. It just blows away, all right? So, so someone who is, who is blessed, who, who is like a tree, who plants themselves in the root of God's word, man, they're strong. And even in the midst of dryness, they maintain their strength. But the wicked, those who are far from God, chaff, it, blow, it, it, it blows away. Those things that, that you pursue that are far from God's teaching are things that don't have any lasting impact upon our lives. All right? Now, those things are the things that we sometimes then pursue, um, which therein lies the thing. The, the problem. The pictures are stark, all right? Meditating and doing the teaching of God leads to a life that is blessed, full, abundant, happy, and life-giving to those around. It's not independent from itself. It's tied to water, but when we remove ourselves from the teaching of God's word, from God himself, who longs to impart his truth to us, we become like chaff that blows away. Fruitless, no life, no abundance, and lacks lasting joy. How often have you tried to produce fruit on your own? How often have you tried to produce fruit on your own? Scripture speaks a lot about fruit. I want to take you to a, uh, 
a well-known place that talks about fruit. If you would just flip over to Galatians 5 for a moment, please. Galatians 5, Paul is talking about, the Apostle Paul is talking about how Christ has liberated, liberated us or set us free to be free. And he says, stand firm then and don't submit to the yoke of slavery, to the yoke of sin. And he comes down towards the end of the chapter in verse 16, and I also have it here on the slides for you. Uh, and he says in verse 16 of Galatians 5, he says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He's going to talk about fruit in a minute. But he wants to talk about how godly fruit comes from the Spirit and how unholy chaff comes from the flesh. He says in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. Go to verse 19, and he describes those things that are like chaff. <laughs> now the works of the flesh, those things that we pursue in and of our own strength, are obvious. Their sexual immorality, their uh, moral impurity, promiscuity, their idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. He wants to make sure you got the point. And anything similar. I tell you about all these things in advance, as I told you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right? He puts that as a picture of saying, hey, you want to know what the works of your flesh, what the fruit of your own striving comes to? Those are the things it comes to. Go back one slide, David, would you? So you just think about your life for a moment right now. Do any of those things remotely resemble a part of your life? I was thinking yesterday as I was, as I was here getting ready, and <laughs> fits of anger. I remember when I was a kid, I had, I had this baritone ukulele, which is, it's bigger than the normal ukulele. It's about this tall. And it was like my four-string guitar as a kid. I was maybe like eight. And one day I got so mad, so mad. And I, and I was a kid at a young age who would slam doors and get in trouble for that kind of stuff. One, one day I was so mad. I took this ukulele, and I guess it's my guitar up here. I'll have to use it. Um, and I went like this. I went... I'm not actually going to do that to this guitar. <laughs> I still have this guitar. It's in our or this ukulele in our house. And if you look at the neck, it's all glued back together. But you can still see the remnants of an outburst or a fit of anger. Anybody ever experienced something like that? Maybe not that one. Maybe one of these other ones. Those are the works of our flesh. Those are the works of not the spirit in our life. Because the Spirit's work is contrasted with this. Look with me for a moment at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, or faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Or the law is not against such things. Let me ask you a question. What works of the flesh are present in your life? The other way you could ask that question is, what works of the Spirit are present in your life? If you were to go to a close friend, if you were to go to a close family member, and you were to say, what do you see in my life? How would they describe you? 
How would they describe you? How would they evaluate your fruit? Now, I entitled the sermon, Learning to Delight, because in, in full transparency, I'm learning to delight in God. And in full honesty, I think all of us would say we all continually learn to delight in God. This is not something that comes natural. That's why we have this battle between God's Spirit, who wants to make us more like Christ, and our flesh that wants to help us pursue everything that is not of Christ. Learning to delight can be difficult because we are often sati- we often pursue desires that don't bring godly satisfaction and godly fruit in our lives. When, when I was in elementary school, I had to memorize this poem. <laughs> Poems. It was like, oh, a poem. Uh, and it was this poem by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in the yellow wood. Anybody know it? Kids, do you still have to memorize it? Fantastic. I love it. All right, I'm not the only one who had to. I still remember half of it. I won't quote it to you. But it describes two roads um, that this, this hiker or walker comes up to within a wood, and he has to choose, which one do I go down? And at the end of the poem, he says, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. The psalmist here describes two different kinds of people on two different paths. One path is the path of the righteous, and that's founded in finding delight and joy in the teaching of God, knowing and doing it, finding pleasure in knowing God by doing God's word and by hearing God and having a relationship with God. And the second path is the path that for many of us is the easy path. It's hard to constrain our life to go down the righteous path. It's a lot more easy to go down the path that most of, many of, not most, many of the people around us easily go down. But this path, the, the road less traveled path, the, the Godward path, the, the path that says, I want to honor God in all things, regardless of the consequences, this is the one that makes all the difference. As I was checking my email this week, I received, maybe you did too, I received many offers and, and advice from people who wanted to help me have a better 2019. You know, they, they wanted me to lose 45 pounds in seven days, and they wanted me to uh, excel at work, and they wanted me to set goals, and I'm not negating any of that stuff. Some of that stuff's really, really helpful. The turn of the year gives us pause to consider what do you want 2019 to be like? When you come to the end of 2019, how do you want to look back and see how you have grown spiritually? All right? Learning to delight is a difficult process, but it's a process that if we don't intentionally think about and set our lives in a pattern, in a path, we can be knocked off of what God wants from us. So, a couple of, of questions for you as we, as we begin to close. How would you like to see your relationship with God grow this year? What things take you away from God? Where do you spend the bulk of your time? What spiritual practices do you want to grow and to develop? What small changes could God use in your life 
to impact your families and to bring great fruit for people in your future. And as you learn to delight, I want to give you some tips. And this is not at all um, comprehensive. Uh, my goal here is to help us think about how could we change certain things in our life so that God could grow within us a deeper desire to know him. All right? David, would you put that, that slide up there? A couple things. Number one, expect and trust God to speak to you through his word. It hit me as I, was, as I was running yesterday. A lot of times I come to this book and I don't expect God to speak. Expect God to speak to you. Trust that God's word is sufficient for you. Invest your life because the scripture says that the word of God is eternal. Expect and trust God to speak for, to you through his word. No, number two, just principle, Pray for God to turn your heart toward his teaching. I love that prayer because a lot of times it's like, all right, I got to do this. Pray for God to move your heart toward his teaching. I, I love it. Um, who was it? I don't have it up here. Um, it was John Piper who was talking one day about um, Psalm 119. And, you know, Psalm 119 has how sweet your words are to, to my taste and talking about all the greatness and the sweetness of God's word. And, and he, he made the statement, um, the same psalmist who says in Psalm 119, how sweet your words are to my taste, is the one who just a few verses earlier says, God, turn my heart towards your teaching. All right? Ask God to help you understand his teaching. Um, really practical. Decide on a plan to read scripture and strive for consistency. Um, last summer, I was very convicted that I needed to spend more time in the text. And so I changed the pattern of my life to do that. Now, it's, that time has fallen away just with a little bit of changes in life with family and stuff like that. But decide on a plan to read the text and strive for consistency. Here's something else that I love. Share what you are learning about God with someone else. Um, friends, family, coworkers. The, the more you spend time in the text, the more the text will just kind of ooze out of you. <laughs> um, Deuteronomy 6, I read it earlier. You know, talk about it while you sit and while you lie. Make it an active part of your life. What, what do your dinners look like? As you gather as a family, spend some, spend some time reading the Word of God. Spend some time talking about the Word of God. Spend some time memorizing the Word of God. Find what works with your family and your situation, with your friends, uh, wh whatever that looks like for you. Next slide, David. Fin memorize a specific passage individually or with a friend. I am awful at memorization. It is work. It is tough. But the fruits of it are unparalleled. One of the verses that my wife and I have memorized, and uh, you get a little nervous when you say something like that, because can I start it? <laughs> um, Philippians chapter 4, where it talks about, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything with prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Memorize passages that speak to where you're at right now. 
and that you need to remember for future times. I cannot tell you how many times we have faced a difficult circumstance and we have gone to that verse because it starts with rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. And then it goes into that. Memorize the specific passages individually. Recite it daily. Make it a part of your life. Maybe there's a verse that you could start your meals with. We like to start our meals with, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Find something that works for you. Make the word of God a part of your life. Repurpose your time, driving, working out, to include... Uh, stuff like that, to include biblical teachings or scripture hearing. I was talking with a good friend several months ago, and we were just talking about our relationships with God, and, and one of the things I said is, you know, some things, since you're, you're busy and you're driving a lot, how do you repurpose that time that you've just spent listening to talk radio, which is what I like to do sometimes? Um, how, do you re, how do you take that time and turn it into something that's purposeful? Well, Listen to scripture. Listen to biblical teaching. Uh, reorient the patterns of your life so that it may not seem like much in that day, but a year later, after filling your mind with the word of God over a period of time, you'll see growth like you've never seen before. Use helpful resources to better understand scripture. Sometimes you come to this passage and you're like, what does this mean? I don't get it. Especially if you're like in the book of Numbers. <laughs> you're like, oh Lord, help me. Help me to know this. Grab a good commentary, uh, an easy commentary to read. If you want some suggestions, I can give you some. Uh, any of our pastors can give you some. Find something to go along with what you're reading. Never replace the word of God with a commentary. Never do that. But a commentary can be really helpful in understanding what is going on in the text and how should I engage this and what should it look like. Finally, remember, it's... <laughs> I didn't put the not in there. It is not about facts. <laughs> Please notate that differently. It is not about facts. I forgot the emphatic negative. Uh, it is about growing a relationship with God. Sometimes when we come to a verse like Psalm 1, it's like, oh, I just need to read my Bible more. And yes, that's part of the answer. The other part of the answer is, God, build this book in me. Because the more you build this book in me, the better I know you. All right? It's, it's, you can have this whole thing memorized and have a stale relationship with God. It's possible. You can be a world-renowned scholar knowing this book and have a stale relationship with God because God has to work in and through you. And you have to interact with this text, but interact with the God who wrote this text. Okay? Great ways to do that are with God's people like this. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. We're going to sing a couple songs as we close. I want to invite our worship team up. But I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you as we enter 2019. Regardless of what you have seen in 2018, regardless of where your relationship with God is right now, it may be great, it may be struggling. God can grow you through his word. God can challenge you through his word. God can make you more like himself through his word. And I want to pray that for you today. Our Father and our King, you have spoken to us words of life. You have given to us, God, life in Jesus. And as we enter into a new year, give us grace to understand your teaching. Give us wisdom to know how the words you wrote so many years ago have application to our life today.
God, some of us here are stuck in patterns of sin. We're stuck in patterns and ruts of, of pursuing our own way. And sometimes it's because we need to come to a reckoning and, and a realization of that you are God and you are holy and we are called to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes, God, it's, it's out of the, the callousness or the uh, just, just lack of intention in our life. God, I pray for those who are in that right now that you would give them one or two truths by which to seize hold, to dive down deep into your word. And God, that you would grow them like a tree that is planted over streams of water, who has foliage that is, that is lush and that is green, even in the midst, perhaps, of a dry desert. And God, that you would grow their lives into lives that yield fruit, fruit that comes by you living through them in the form of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May we continually be marked, God, by your spirit at work in our lives. I pray, God, for the young kids here, kids who are learning how to read, as they hear the word of God at home, God, build them up. As they pursue um, the, the uh, learning how to read, may one of the first books that they turn to be the very words of God. We thank you, God. We thank you for another year of life. We thank you for another year of grace. We thank you, God, that you are always there. Help us to build our life upon those things which matter most in this coming year. We pray for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please?